We are now going to have our Bible reading, uh, and we are looking at the book of Colossians, and this morning's Bible reading is from Colossians chapter 2, and we are looking from verse 6 through to verse 15. If you have a Bible, please could I really encourage you to get that open. If you've got a phone with a Bible on it, could I encourage you to get the Bible app open and turn to Colossians 2 verses 6. Now the book of Colossians, a letter written thousands of years ago from the Apostle Paul to a church in a city called Colossae. And that is very true, that's very right, that's facts. But in some sense, it is also a letter, a love letter, written from God to those sitting in the church of BRBC on Sunday morning, whatever the date is. I I haven't remembered what the date is, but this morning. And so it would be great if you had that open in front of you as God speaks to you through James so that you can check it. So that's Colossians 2. And it is behind me, um, but equally I would still encourage you to have it open because that will disappear when James stands up, and so it will be good to have it in front. So Colossians 2, reading from verse 6 down to verse 15. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh, By the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is God's word to us this morning. What we're doing in the service right now, if you're new to church, is we, we take some time to take a passage from the Bible and we open it up and we ask two really simple questions. What did this mean when it was written? But also, what does it mean for us today? How does this truth collide with our lives? You see, at BLBC, we have this kind of deep and underlying conviction in everything that we do that the Bible really is God's word. It is living and active, and it speaks to us. We believe in the Bible. We can find out who our God really is. We find out who we are. We help to understand our world. And most important, we find out what God has done for us to make us his own. So that's why we take time in our services to open the Bible and ask the question, what does this mean? We want to have our lives changed by what God has to say to us. So what we've been doing over the last few weeks is we've been studying through what you would know as the, the, the book of Colossians, when in reality it's actually a letter written by a famous guy called Paul to a church in the city of Colossae. 
Now, for those of you who haven't been part of the series so far, I will just give you a really short snapshot to understanding the background behind this letter, written by a guy called Paul. He was, he's one of the most famous people in history because he had this radical turnaround moment where he met Jesus and he went from being somebody who killed Christians to somebody who wanted to make Christians. Somebody who was dismantling churches to somebody who was building churches. Somebody who wanted to stop the message of Jesus to someone who wanted to take the message of Jesus as far as he possibly could. And so what he did with his life was spend his life planting churches, supporting churches, directing churches, and serving Christians. And he would find himself in prison. He would be beaten up for all of this. I mean, even as he writes Colossians, he's in prison. But he just has this deep desire to see Christians being made and then to see them flourishing as they live for Jesus. Now, the thinking behind Colossians is that he never actually visited these Christians in this city. What happened, we think, is that there was this guy called Epaphras, great name, but he heard Paul's Paul's ministry talking about Jesus and was like, well, I need to go back to my hometown and tell him. So he goes back to the city of Colossae, tells them about Jesus, a bunch of people become Christians, and you have the beginning of a Christian community. But it appears that Epaphras may have become to, to, may kind of got a little bit concerned. As he looked around the city of Colossae, he could see lots of crazy, confusing, and chaotic messages. And he began to grow concerned that the people in the church would be distracted from following Jesus. That they they would get confused, they would get muddled, and they would begin to believe the messages of the world around them. So it seems like Epaphras has gone back to Paul, who could be his mentor, and said, Paul, what do I do with this problem? How do I help them? Well, then Paul responds by writing the letter to the Colossians. Here's what you need to know. You live in a crazy city, Colossian Christians. I want you to keep going with Jesus, rooted in him. As you are facing the crazy, chaotic, and confused messages in this city, I want you to stick with Jesus. That's what the letter of Colossians is about. That's what Paul is writing. Now, I think a good way to understand Paul's heart behind this letter is to think about how a parent or carer feels towards their children. And I know we used this imagery last week, but I think it's really helpful. And in particular, think about those moments when your child, if you've raised children, um, goes through something life-changing. There's one of those rites of passages. So let's say they, it's their first day of school, right? Now, now what, what, what's the, what's the uh, kind of feeling you're going to have as a parent or carer as they go? Now, it might be a sense of celebration. Yeah, good. I've got a few more hours throughout the week. Uh, or maybe it's this sense of concern, isn't it? You, you know, you, you long for them to do well. You know, it's a big bad world out there. The kids are going to say some really mean things to you. And I hope you stay rooted. I, I hope you do the right thing. I hope you make friends. I hope you engage with your lessons. I, I just hope you, do all, I hope you do well in school. It's, it's going to be over the next decade or more of your life, and I want you to do well. So there's that sense of concern. You can get hurt out there. There's a lot of messages. I want you to stand true. What about when that same child flies the nest? It's probably a similar feeling, isn't it? Off to university, moving house, moving out, getting that job. It's going to be that same feeling. It's a bad world out there. Not everyone is good. Not everyone is out for your best interests. I hope you do all right. I hope you stand on what you have been taught. I I hope you manage well. I want you to flourish. And so there's this sense of concern. There's this deep longing for them to do well. Well, that's Paul to the Colossians. 
He knows the city that they live in is crazy. There is messages flying around all over the place. There's false teaching. There's wrong ideas. And as they go out learning as young Christians to live fruitfully in the city that they're in, Paul wants them to do well. He wants them to flourish in and amidst the crazy and confused city of Colossae. Now that's what we're going to see this week. If our study last week was was understanding why Paul is willing to hurt to see them do well, why he's willing to go to prison, why he's willing to suffer for them. This week, we will see Paul's highest hopes for them as he communicates how he wants them to stand firm in Jesus even when they're living in this chaotic city. In the crazy Colossae world, he wants them to stand rooted in Jesus. So that's our big question this morning as we study this. What specifically is it that Paul wants for them? Yeah, he wants them to carry on in Jesus, but what does that look like when they are in the city of Colossae? What does he want for these Christians? And what we're going to find is three really simple things. He wants them to stay rooted. He wants them to stand secure. And he wants them to live free. So if you're a note taker, scribble those three things down. Stand, stay rooted, stand secure, and live free. Now, we might want to say at this point, well, Colossae's thousands of miles removed from us geographically, 2,000 years removed from us historically. What on earth has this got to do with us? Well, it's got a lot to do with us. Think about it. People who follow Jesus, living in a chaotic and confused world, needing to be told, hang on, keep following Jesus, stand firm. That's us, true, too, isn't it? We, we live in a crazy, confused world with all kinds of messages. We are bombarded on every side every day. And so don't we also need to be reminded to stay rooted, stand secure, and live free? Now, before I jump into this first one, if, if you do not consider yourself a follower of Jesus, a Christian, what, what I want you to be able to do at this point and this is a big ask, but please do it. Why don't you just leave what you thought about Christianity and church at the door, okay? Drop those preconceived notions, because I understand that a lot of people get the basics of the Christian message upside down. We, we, we don't really understand it properly. So, so what I, my hope for you this morning is, is you'll be able to see why it is that billions of Christians throughout history have found the message of the good news of Jesus entirely liberating. And maybe you can see that this morning. Okay, let's jump into the first one. What does Paul want for them? He wants them to stay rooted. So let me reread verses 6, 7, and 8. They go like this. Therefore, as you received Christ, Jesus as Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Verse 8, look at this. See to it that nobody takes you, look at that interesting word, captive, by philosophy, empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Jesus. Notice what he says in verse 6, and I love this. Therefore, just as you have received Jesus, what does he say after that? Carry on and walk in Jesus. Notice the order. That is really important for understanding the, the, the root of the Christian message. Here's where people often get it upside down. People often think... Well, if I, if I look like a Christian, and if I live like a Christian, and I figure my life out, 
then I can belong to God, I can be acceptable in his sight, and I can receive Jesus. But that's not what it says right there, is it? Because you have received Jesus, now learn to walk in Jesus. Live like you belong to Jesus. I mean, that's the Christian life. It's learning to become who you've already been declared to be in Jesus. But now Paul moves to tell them to stand firm, right? And what he does here is he tells them four things they need to keep in mind in order to stand firm and four things they need to reject. So so what are the things to stand firm? He says, I want you to stay rooted, doesn't he? It carries the idea of a tree with deep roots. And what's a tree with deep roots? A tree that's not going to be knocked over. A tree that is not going anywhere, regardless of how strong the storms storms are. What does he say? Built up. It carries the idea of a house with deep foundations and a thick wall. Uh, That's not going anywhere either. Established as you were taught. Remember, Epaphras was the one who brought this message to them. Don't move from that, Colossians, and be abounding in thanksgiving. That's what I want standing rooted in Jesus to look like, he's telling them. But then he also tells them in verse 8 to reject four things. Four things they're not going to be pinned down by. Don't listen to the philosophy. Obviously there's some kind of an idea circulating around the town. There's noise. Don't listen to what those people are saying. Empty deceit. He's saying, what's that? Don't listen to the lies around you. Human tradition. That That is people who are telling you to do things that have no foundation in what God has told you to do. The elemental spirits also translated the elemental principles of this world. So the ideas of this world that are not according to Jesus. I don't want you to follow that. Why? Because I want you to stay rooted. Here's what Paul is saying to them, and I think it's quite simple. I want you to stay so rooted in Jesus that when you are pummeled by this false teaching and the wrong ideas that are circulating around this city, I want you to be so aware and so awake and so savvy that you will not be taken captive by these things. I want you, Colossians, to have this awareness so that as you go about your life in the city, you won't be taken in by these things, but you will stay rooted in Jesus. Now, here's where we might like to think to ourselves, well, what what on earth has that got to do with us? I mean, this is the Colossians. They're in the city of Colossae. They've got unique ideas circulating around this town. Do we need to hear this? Do we live in a culture in the world that is pummeling us with messages and wrong ideas and false teaching? Absolutely, yes. You see, just as the Colossians needed the reminder to think about what they're actually standing on, We too need that reminder in the world that we live in because it is just as chaotic and confused. A way I often like to think about this is to think about how we are being formed. Because in many ways, like the Colossians, we can be formed and shaped in our spiritual walks without even realizing what's happening to us. So we're always being shaped by ideas. We're always taking in information. And if we don't stop and think, we could be in danger, like the Colossians, of being taken captive by wrong ideas without even realizing it's happening. Now, now we're always being formed by something. It happens through the, the films that we watch, the social media we're consuming, the magazines we read, the adverts we see as we walk through town. We are being shaped by the world around us. So it's never a question of, am I being formed by something? It's always, what am I being formed by? You see, that's what Paul wants them to think about. Don't be formed and shaped by this stuff. 
Be rooted in Jesus. Be so aware of your surroundings and what you're being told that you can get rid of what's not good and you can stand on what's true. Let let me give you an example of how this can work in our world today. And I understand it's a bit removed from the culture of Colossae, but you'll see what I mean. Think about our world today and think about some of the hidden messages that we get told that are eventually not good for us and not what God would have for us. Here's an example of a message that our modern world absolutely loves, but it ends up really hurting us. Here's the message. Your life is about you. That's the message, right? Your life is about you. Now, that's a message that we receive through films that we watch, through the media we consume. Social media absolutely loves this message. Your life is about you, your happiness, and everything in your life has to revolve around you and what you want and what makes you feel good. Now, of course, our culture loves that. We love that message. Yeah, of course, I'd love it if everything was about me. That's awesome. That makes me feel great. I want my life to be about me. But the trouble is with, is, with that underlying message, life begins to come unstuck and doesn't make sense if we live like that. Keep following me. If we begin to think that way, we're very hard to live with. You think about it. If you, if you raise a child with that thinking, your life is about you, how, how will they end up growing up, Right? Well, relationships are going to be really hard for them because sometimes relationships hurt. And as soon as it hurts, well, forget it. Relationships become disposable in that way of thinking. Uh, They're going to be very difficult to make friends with because they'll be spoiled in everything and people don't like spending time with spoiled people. But what about when something difficult comes their way? Something hard, some some kind of a hardship. That's not going to make sense to them because life was supposed to be easy. Life was supposed to be about my happiness. And so all of a sudden, with that thinking, we've got no category to deal with some of the hard stuff that we face. Now, what I'm saying is is that that thinking is woven into just about everything we consume. So it's important for us to look at the world around us and ask the question, what am I absorbing? What am I listening to? What am I being taken captive by? I understand that's removed from what's going on in Colossae. But it's the same kind of idea Paul is saying. Stay awake. Stay alert. Be savvy. What are you being formed by? What I want you to do is to stay on the truth. It's Jesus, Colossians. Okay, first thing. Stand firm on Jesus. Second thing he wants for them is to stand secure. So stay rooted. Stand secure. Now what's going on in the city of Colossae? You've got lots of different messages going around. And most of the messages, it appears, says, you need Jesus, but you also need this too. The messages seem to be, yeah, Jesus is great, but Jesus isn't enough. You also need to do this, you need to be this, you need to have this, and you need to experience this. Now the problem is, when we begin to add something onto Jesus, we suddenly get very insecure and, and following Jesus doesn't really make sense to us. It can really hurt us. Now, what do I mean by that? As soon as we add something to Jesus, all of a sudden, the responsibility for being made right with God comes down to something that we do or something that we are. Okay? If we're saying, what does it mean to be made right in God's sight? Well, it's Jesus and in Jesus alone. 
There's no insecurity there because it's all Jesus. As soon as we begin to add something to Jesus, the attention has been deflected to our performance and to what we can do and to what we can become. You see what happens when when that happens in our lives? We end up placing a bar, an expectation we have to reach that, to be honest, we know we can't reach. You know, as soon as you add something to Jesus, the only way that is ever going to lead in your life is to be exhausted and to feel hopeless because you set yourself a bar of performance that you can't get to. Now, that seems to be what Paul is saying here. He's saying, look, I'm going to call out two wrong ways of thinking in Colossae. And these are two ways of thinking that say you need Jesus plus something else. Paul chucks those out and then says, look, all you need is Jesus. So what we're going to do is read through these next few verses. They're going to sound a bit strange to 21st century ears. I understand that, but I want to explain it and show you that it does make sense. He calls these two things out and then points them to their baptism, which is awesome that this passage coincides with what we've just seen this morning. So let's have a look at verses 9, 10, 11, and 12. I will explain it. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Here's the bit that's going to sound strange to us. I'll explain it. In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting on body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, what's going on here is calling out two false teachings. One, one false teaching it says that it's a Greek thinking that says there are 30 different gods that you need to experience. There's a ritual, there's a tradition you need to follow. Yes, you can have Jesus, but you will never be complete until you experience what they would call these gods lived in the fullness, or the pleroma. They live in the fullness. Well, notice what Paul is saying here. The fullness is in Jesus. You don't need all of this. You just need Jesus. It's not Jesus plus this 30. It's just Jesus. The whole fullness is in him. Now, the second false teaching he's calling out is a bunch of people who are saying, look, in order for you to become a follower of Jesus, you've got to be Jewish first. It's the same problem with the the Galatians church. And they say, you've got to go for the circumcision. And once you've done that, you can then follow Jesus. So, yeah, yeah, following Jesus, but that's... That's not going to be complete until you've got to do the Jewish thing first. Now, here's the thinking. And and Jews in the Old Testament knew this, and this is what they'll say today. There's the whole circumcision thing. That's supposed to be symbolic, that that we're changed, that we're a different people. We are unlike people, anyone else in the world. We are different. God has changed us. So you notice what Paul is saying to the Colossians. You don't need to do that. Because Jesus is the one who's already changed you. It's not Jesus plus something. It's just Jesus. He's what you need. So he chucks out these two false teachings that says you need something other than Jesus. And he points them to their baptism. Do you see that right there? Now what's he doing there? Well, we've seen it this morning, haven't we? What happens in baptism? A baptism is a declaration that you belong to Jesus. But just like I've said earlier, it's a promise to us. It shows us that we belong to Jesus, that his death is our death and his life is our life. And so what that means is that Jesus has done it and our baptism tells us that. 
It's something for the Colossians to look back to and say, look, I was shown very clearly when I was baptized what Jesus has actually done for me. So I don't need Jesus plus something. I just need Jesus. Now I'll say it again. As soon as we add something to Jesus, all of a sudden we are placing an impossible weight on our shoulders we were never meant to carry. You know what it feels like to try and live up to someone else's expectations. It's impossible. You try and live up the expectations of being right in God's sight by virtue of your good behavior. It's impossible. You try one day. You can't meet those expectations. You can't, like me, meet your own expectations for yourself. Why? Because we all know our own shame. We all know our own guilt. We all know our own sin. We can't get there. So as soon as it's Jesus plus something, we're living in a place of exhaustion. We're living in a place of anxiety. We're living in a place of hopelessness. Isn't that why Paul is saying, come back. It's just Jesus. That's what your baptism told you. He is all you need. He has done it for you. Now, this is the very thing that sets Christianity apart from every religion in the world. You hear a lot of people say that. Oh, religions, I know they all lead the same way. No, they don't. Now, people who say that haven't read about them. As soon as you open the books and get reading, oh yeah, they say very different things. So what is it that sets Christianity apart? Well, very simply, it's this idea of grace. What does that mean? That means that being right with God is not based upon what we do. Every world religion says this, right? They all say, if you do this, if you have this, if you be this, this ritual, this tradition, and by the way, you've got to keep up, but if you can do that, you will be righteous in God's sight and your soul can rest. But do you ever realize how how exhausting that is, how worrisome that is. Am I keeping up? Can I rest in my own good behavior? No. You know what Christianity says is it's not based upon what you do. It's based upon what Jesus has done. You see, Christianity never says you do this, this, and this, and then God will love you. That's religion. Christianity says, Jesus has died for you. God loves you. He's given you the free gift of salvation. Now you spend the rest of your life learning what it, become, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If one of those is exhausting. The other one gives your soul rest because he did it for you. You see, that's what Paul seems to be doing, chucking out the false teaching. You just need Jesus. Okay, third thing this morning. What do we need to know? What's Paul saying? He wants them to live free. He wants them to live free. Because the big question is, all right, if Jesus has done it for us, what is it that Jesus has done to set us free? And that's where Paul finishes. Look at 13, 14, and 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses. Do you see that? All of them. By cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with all of its legal demands, this he set aside. I love this phrase nailing it to the cross. He dissed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. You want to ask the question, well, Jesus has done it all and it's only Jesus. What is it that Jesus has done? Paul says it right there. Jesus has brought you from death to life, from darkness into light. You notice the Christian messages are not about making bad people good. It's about making dead people alive. That's exactly what Jesus has done. How did he do that? He forgave you. How did he do that? Well, he took the debt that was against you. That's your sin. And he nailed it to the cross for you so that you could go free. He laid himself down. 
so that you can now live free, knowing his forgiveness. And what does he say? Standing in his victory. So what it means to know Jesus for the Colossians and for you, BRBC, is to live in the freedom of Jesus' forgiveness. He dealt with it on the cross. Live free. Now here's where some people, and even those who have been Christians for decades, start, start to sweat a little bit. Oh, oh, you, you can't use the word freedom, can you? Because if you tell people they're free in Jesus, where's the impetus to live for Jesus? If you, I mean, if you tell them they're free and Jesus has forgiven all of our trespasses, just as he said, then hang on a second, aren't we supposed to live like those who belong to Jesus? Where's the motivation to actually follow Jesus? Well, you know what? To live free in Jesus and know his forgiveness is to spend your life in gratitude, in response to what he's done for you. We really can live free, even if it makes some of you squirm this morning. Tell you a story. Back in the early 1800s, there was an Englishman who crossed the Atlantic. He was on the search for gold, and there was a gold rush going on. He traveled across the States, made it across the Rockies, and was getting towards California. He managed to make his fortune in gold, unlike many others. Then when he had enough, as far as he decided, he thought it was time to now go home. So he crossed back the States to the Mississippi and went south to get to New Orleans. And the idea was that he was to catch a boat home from New Orleans all the way home. Now, it was a few days before his boat left, now that he was in New Orleans, and thought, well, let me do the tourist thing. I'm going to go around the city and find out a bit about this place. Well, to his horror, while he was touring the city, he stumbled across a slave market. He went inside and noticed that a woman was being stood up on a pedestal at the front, horrified by what he saw. But that was made worse when he overheard a conversation going on not too far from him. There were some individuals who were making comments about what price they were willing to pay and what they would have her do for them. He couldn't stand it. So when the bidding began, he stuck his hand up as quick as he could and screamed out a price that was four times greater than any price that had ever been paid in that market. The woman got down from the pedestal, walked up to him, and hissed through her teeth, I hate you. So he led her outside through the muddy streets of New Orleans and down a side street to an office. He asked her kindly if she would just stand outside, and he went in. She peered through the window, and she could see there were signatures going on. There was paper being exchanged. And not long after that, the man then stepped outside. He was standing there in the sunlight, and he pushed a piece of paper towards her. And he says, these are your manumission papers. You're now free. Oh, she thought this was some horrible and ridiculous joke. <laughs> what does he think he's doing? She spat in his face. No, 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 no. He says, no, you're, you're actually free. Why don't you go? go? Go have your own family. Go get married. Go have children. Set up your home. You are now free. She still couldn't believe it. One more time, he pushed the papers her direction. You are free. In gratitude, overwhelmed by emotion, she fell to his feet. 
sobbing. She couldn't believe that somebody would pay that price to set her free from her chains. And that now that she could go free, he says, go on, get out of here. She says, no, sir. The funny thing is, now that you've set me free, I want to spend the rest of my life in gratitude serving you. Sometimes I think Christians don't fully understand what it means to be set free. That means we can do anything. No, if you really understand what Jesus has done for you, the chains are gone. You have been free. The trespasses have been nailed to the cross. You are free. How do we live? We spend the rest of our lives learning to become who we are in Jesus because of what he's done for us. You know what Paul says at the beginning? Don't be taken captive by this stuff. No more chains. Instead, because you've received Jesus, learn what it means to live in Jesus. Walk in him. Christians have the privilege of living free. No more chains. No more guilt. No more shame. Your sin has been dealt with. And it's all in Jesus. That's what, the, that's what Paul wants for the Colossians. He wants them to continue on as they have started. So what that means is staying rooted. Because there's a lot of false teaching out there. To stand secure. All you need is Jesus. And to live free. Because Jesus has dealt with it all. It's all on the cross. But that's true for us as well, isn't it? We live in the crazy 21st century culture. And I think that same message needs to resonate in our hearts this morning. So as we live in the crazy and confused world that we live in, may we stay rooted, stand secure, and live free in Jesus. Let's pray, and then we'll sing our final song. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for these words in Colossians for us. We thank you that Paul had a deep sense of care for them. That he wanted them to flourish in their lives in Christ. But Father, we pray for us too. Would you help us, just as we have received Jesus, to go on and walk in him. Staying rooted, standing secure, and living free. Father, we thank you. And we're praying in Jesus' name. Amen.